Friends, it's good to be with you again this morning. We're going to be finishing the time that we've spent looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. We come to the very end of the letter, and we find that what Paul has left for last is a thank you. Um, a lot of folks who study this letter uh, spend a lot of time and energy trying to analyze whether the thank you was the point of the letter or whether it was sort of tacked on at the end since Paul was already writing. I don't really think that's the best place for us to spend our time this morning. I'd like to start by focusing on the 17th verse. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. Now, what could Paul mean by that? I'd like to share a few memories with you that I have from the 20 years that I spent working in fundraising for church-related, not-for-profit organizations. During that time, I had the opportunity to sit at tables and watch people with just a few strokes of a pen give away millions of dollars. Amazingly inspiring acts of generosity. At the other end of the spectrum, I watched people postpone family vacations because they believed so much in something they wanted to support that they wanted to be able to contribute a couple thousand dollars. I was inspired every single time. Now, one of the memories that I want to share is this guy named Doug Lawson, Dr. Doug Lawson, that I met at a training seminar that I attended one time. And Doug had written a book called Give to Live. Now, Doug was an academic kind of doctor, not a medical kind of doctor, but he had gotten fascinated with a conversation he had with someone who had been formerly a parishioner of his. He was also a minister, and this person was a medical doctor. He mentioned research that he had found that he thought would fascinate Doug since Doug worked as a fundraiser for church-related causes as well. And the research this doctor had found or was aware of was that there is an observable, measurable correlation between the act of giving and living longer. Thus, the title of Doug's book, Give to Live. Now, anytime Doug talks about this in public, he's very, very careful to make all kinds of disclaimers. There's nothing in the research that supports um, a causal statement, a statement of what causes this correlation. There's no, nothing in the research that says because these people gave, they live longer. It's just an, observe, an observation that this group of people who gave, who um, had generous impulses and took tangible actions to live them out, they happen to live longer. Now, maybe it's just because these are the sorts of people who already had healthy habits that led to a longer life. And those people just happened to be the same ones who took the time to organize their efforts and maybe leave a will or something like that that included a gift. No way to say what the cause was, but the effect was measurable. People who give tend to live longer. Give to live. Now, Doug came at that because of some research he found that fascinated him because of the work he did in life. But I also have a, a memory I'd like to share. It's a far more personal, um, individual 
example of that same dynamic. I once worked with a guy named Joe Carson, and Joe was in his early 80s when he and I worked together. I was in my late, mid-20s, and we worked together for a little United Methodist Child and Family Services Agency in Virginia. And Doug had had every job you could possibly have in the Virginia United Methodist Conference, uh, other than Bishop, but he knew everybody and everybody knew him, and he had a little bit of a reputation. The reputation Joe had was that if he ever came up to you and said, now I've got an opportunity for you, you need to grab your wallet or your purse because Joe was about to ask you for some money. And he was good at it because Joe was so lovable and so caring and so affable that he was really hard to say no to. So naturally, he got asked to help raise a lot of money over his lifetime. And he probably earned that reputation fairly well. In his retirement, he was still volunteering with our organization because he cared about our work. And Joe and I would travel all over Virginia, visiting churches, asking them to support the work that we did, providing care for children and families. And every single time we would get ready to go in and make a visit with someone, Joe would stop me and say, now, Don, remember, these people need to give way more than we need the money. The first time I heard him say that, I wasn't quite sure I understood what he meant. I asked him about it after the visit as we were driving away. I said, Joe, what did you mean by that? And I heard this kind, gentle, retired, sweet soul of a pastor explain to me what he believed about how important it was for us to be generous in order to live out the fullness of our humanity. Now, I got to be honest with you, as a preacher, I'm not bold enough to say that I think I know everything it means to be created in the image of God. But I think I can say one thing. I look at Genesis and I observe that the very first action of, of God toward humanity was an act of generosity, an act of giving. See, I've given you creation. I may not know everything it means to be created in the image of God, but it seems obvious and plain enough that part of what it means if we are created in the image of a generous God is that we are meant to be generous beings. It's part of our created nature. I got to see that up close in another memory I'd like to share with you. At that same organization in Virginia where I worked with Joe, uh, part of the program that we supported there was a residential facility for youth who were either uh, on their last stop before incarceration or their first stop out of incarceration. These were young folk whose behaviors had become so problematic that they weren't able to go to a public school setting or anything like that. And we had an on-campus school that was suited better for their needs and, and more able to give them the individualized attention they needed. And one day I came back to the campus and I saw a, a group of those, uh, those young folk out raking leaves. And that wasn't normally something they did. So I asked why that was happening. And they said, oh, well, they asked if they could rake leaves uh, in the afternoon to earn money because they wanted to be able to give something away. I said, what are you talking about? And I sat down and listened to the story. Each of our cottages 
Each of the four had adopted a family that year for the holidays. They had worked through the social work staff at the facility to identify families and uh, appropriately respect privacy and things like that. But the kids were going to be able to give something to this family. They wanted to be sure that this family got to have uh, an experience like many of them wished they could have had with their families. They wanted to be sure this other family got to have that. And so they worked hard. I watched them for weeks. Later that December, when we had a holiday gathering and each of those cottages of young adults got to uh, tell the story of what they had done and why they had done it, I witnessed them living out the fullness of their humanity created in the image of God. And it was a new thing for some of them because up until that point, for a lot of those folks at that age in their lives, their circumstances had not afforded them the opportunity to have enough to give. A lot of those kids had only ever been the recipients of gifts, and that had come to make them feel a certain kind of way. And for the first time ever, they were getting to feel what it feels like to be able to give something. They were experiencing part of their humanity that they had not previously had access to. And you could see the beautiful transformation as they became more of themselves, more of the creation that they were intended to be because of that ability to give. I think Paul saw the depth of that importance. I don't think he just tacked this on at the end. I think this is kind of what he was building to. You know, the focus that Paul's had throughout this whole letter has been on being of one mind. Now, there's more research that I happen to be aware of from the time I spent raising money for charity. And that is that when you ask people what really motivates giving, why did you make that gift? It tends not to matter whether it's a small kind of regular gift or a really big monumental one-time gift. The answer that would rise to the top more and more, uh, more frequently than anything else, was I really believed in what the organization was trying to accomplish. It was rarely ever so much the details of this or that program or whatever specific thing they were being asked. But no, just overall, they believed that what that organization was trying to accomplish was as important as anything else they could invest in. They were of one mind with the purpose of that organization. That's the thing Paul's been encouraging since the very beginning of this letter. I think he has saved this thank you for the last because he sees it as sort of the capstone evidence that they're getting there. Paul understands the correlation between the health of our humanity and the health of our faith he understands that giving and generosity are not the point of that, not the purpose of that, but they're a barometer, a sort of an indicator of what that level of health is. But it's not about the money. Paul goes out of his way to say, you know, it's not that I'm grateful you sent me money. I'm grateful because of what it means for you. I'm grateful that you're getting to experience giving. Now, 
there's some cultural particularity here that we ought to be aware of so that we don't over-romanticize what's happened here. Uh, in Roman times, there was an elaborate and intricate ritual of gift-giving uh, or a, a cultural practice that was all around acknowledging and reinforcing relationships. Didn't really matter what kind of relationships. It might be family, it might be a friend, might be purely transactional, might be a business associate. But part of the way you acknowledge the value of relationships was in the exchanging of the giving and receiving of gifts. So when Paul uses that phrase, you participated with me in the giving and receiving of gifts, it's not just about giving. It's also, to some degree, about the acknowledgement of relationship. Paul is saying to this group, look, you all have been in this with me. It's the relationship that matters. Not the money that you sent along, but the relationship that it symbolizes. Paul's saying, I see that. That matters to me. It matters to me that you are invested enough in your purpose, in one another, and in this relationship to be generous, to give, to participate in this, in this ritual that we have. It's that focus of being of one mind that we keep coming back to. I think that's the connection of why this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians matters still for us now. We face the work of coming to one mind. Each of you, uh, most of you, have a deep history with this meeting. Deep investment in your own ideas of what our best future looks like. Uh, what our best steps to live into that future look like. Here's the thing. Probably not all of you have exactly the same vision. Probably not all of you have exactly the same idea of what our best future looks like or what our best next steps to live into that future look like. Just because we're people and just because we haven't yet done the hard work of coming to one mind, I'd be willing to bet there's an uncomfortable amount of dissimilarity between your visions. That's the work we have to do. That's the thing that Paul lifted up as most important from start to finish in his conversation with the Philippians. And it's the most important task that we have facing us in these coming weeks and months work of coming to one mind. It's tempting along the way to look at what old-time preachers used to call nickels and noses, as though that tells the whole story. Counting noses, how many people are showing up, counting nickels, how much money are they giving. Those things are important. Paul points out the correlation between the health of who we are and the health of our giving, but he gives way more time and energy a whole paragraph nearly, to pointing out that it's really not about the money. Paul says, I can get by whether I've got a lot or I can get by whether I've got a little. It's not about that. Paul says, I'm interested in your giving because of the profit that accrues to your account. That's why it matters. So it is important to look at the health of our finances it's far more important, though, to look at the health of the condition of our humanity 
whether or not we're living out the fullness of our created nature as generous beings. And, and it's more important to look as a meeting at whether or not we have evidence of coming to be of one mind. Those are the places I invite you along with Paul to focus your attention as we head into the work of these next few weeks and months. It's far more important for us to look at what it is inside of us that responds to that of God in each of us. How healthy is that? What are we doing with one another to nurture the fullness of our created nature, the fullness of our generous humanity? And what are we doing with one another to create openness and invitation to be of one mind? Let's have a time of open worship now and wait and listen together and see what messages come from you to answer those questions. <laughs>